0: You can be seated. Well, uh, thank you uh, to, to my sister for her great words over our communion. Uh, one thing I want to clear up, I would never tell a story inaccurately. So come on, I'm a, I'm a preacher. Come on, yeah, can't, can't, can't do that. Uh, so we're continuing our series called Love in Christ, where we are, are slowly going through 1 John, which is a letter written likely to a, a small house church, maybe 15 to 20 people, and they're figuring out, perhaps they have the gospel of John and they're like trying to figure out, okay, what does it look like for us to then live this out? How do we take this from this is what Jesus's life was and this is what uh, Jesus did for us to then, okay, now what does it look like for us uh, to live this in community together? And so John is writing this and helping to explain some stuff that uh, he wants them to really continue to have at the forefront uh, of their minds. So we're going to look at First John uh, starting in chapter 2 today, uh, verse 28. Uh, and we'll just go ahead and read that for us up through uh, 1 John three three. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. This is basically the center of this letter, and there's so many great verses and ideas that are from this passage, things that we could wrestle with and try and figure out Uh, forever. The two, I would say, central themes that that pop out uh, to me from this are, are first that the world won't be like this forever, and then secondly that one day the king will appear. One day Jesus is going to come back, and the ways that you live into the reality of Christ now will last forever. The ways that you purify yourself in Jesus, those things will last forever, and one day Jesus will come back. There are a couple words that are used in this passage. In verse 28, he uses a word that's translated confidence, uh, but the scholars who I read about that word said that it's actually a, a deeper meaning, perhaps, almost we might translate it as certainty, that there's a certainty about what we know in Jesus. There's a certainty that we have because of Jesus. I think in some ways when we hear the word confidence, it's like pretending, like you're like trying to pretend to be confident, but this is more like a certainty. We know who Jesus is, and this has deep implications for us. And then verse 28 also says that he's coming back, and it's a Greek word that would have been used to describe a, a king going out into his kingdom and meeting with his royal subjects. And as we think about what it would be like to meet an idol or someone who's really important to us, someone who is a king, some of you I know watched the royal wedding just a few weeks ago, and it's not even for our nation, you just watched it on TV at three in the morning. Imagine if a real king or a president showed up and you were to meet that person. There's a certain uh, amount of of respect uh, that you would have. So the king is coming. And then John, in the middle of this great conversation about what this means for us he says see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of god as he starts in chapter three in our bibles and the word that he uses for see there is the aorist punctiliar imperative which i'm sure means a lot to you but uh, the word see it's basically like what you would yell at your son or daughter if she was getting uh, too close to the stove Uh, It's what you yell if you're at a Dodger game and Max Muncy hits a home run, and you get up and you cheer. It's just this yell, this this scream out basically. So let's just practice that together. On three, let's just say "see" as loud as we possibly can. One, two, three. There you go. Good job. That's it. It's like "see," like wake up. See what great love. God has lavished on us, and the end of that verse, likely in your translation, has an exclamation point at the end of it, but that's not really doing it justice. It's like, wake up, see what this means, that God has given us this great love and mercy that we all, this is just unbelievable news, that we all are children of God because of what Christ has done. This is news that should change all of our lives and continue to change us. Eugene Peterson uh, was a minister working in, in a small church in the Washington, D.C. area. And as he was working with this congregation, he uh, became frustrated because they were doing a Bible class, a Bible class about eight to ten people, and they were reading the book of Galatians together. And the people, as they were reading these, just were kind of comfortably just sitting there and drinking their coffee. And he became frustrated because he thought, these are words that literally have changed the world and continue to change the world, and it's like my people don't even really care that much. And so he started translating the message version of the Bible because he wanted to put the words of Scripture into modern language to basically say, see, this is what this means. For us as a church community in in 2018, this is what this means. And so if you're somebody who underlines or circles in Scripture, you can circle that C and write aorist punctilier imperative because you'll always remember that. And that's a word that just means wake up. This is what this means, that we are children of God. John invites the people who read this, and I believe we are still invited, to live into this reality. That we are loved and known, we're sons and daughters of God. That's a hard promise, I think, to live into at times. There are little ways that we're promised things all day long. I recently uh, read about uh, a group of people that sued Red Bull because Red Bull has the slogan, Red Bull Gives You Wings. And they sued Red Bull because it didn't actually give you wings, A, and uh, because... Red Bull actually doesn't have that much more caffeine than like a regular cup of coffee, so they sued him for false advertising and won $14 million in a class action lawsuit. And so you'll see now that whenever Red Bull gives you wings is the slogan that's out there. It's wings with a bunch of eyes. To make it that we're we're not actually promising wings, like they can find a way around that a little bit. So that's the new slogan. It has a bunch of eyes uh, instead of just one uh, because people sued them for it. It was a class action lawsuit, and I think a bunch of people got $10 each or something. But uh, they won this lawsuit because Red Bull didn't actually do that. And if you think about all the different things that we are promised throughout the day, Some sort of advertising, some sort of thing that is always in front of us. We see ads at an unbelievable rate. And we're being told by those things subtly, if you get this thing or that thing, it's going to complete your life. If you're able to buy this car or you're able to afford this type of food, if you get this type of shoe, things are going to be so much better for you. What promises are you living into? Are you living into the reality that John tries to call his people into? He's trying to shake them up and he says, see, this is who we are. We are children of God. This is the promise. This is what we should live into. And so he, he starts this with a word that John uses in his writings constantly, which is the word meno, which would be um, continue or remain. There's, the word is used 40 times in the gospel of John and then 27 times in First John. So over and over and over again, John is saying remain in this love. Jesus gathers his disciples uh, for the Passover meal, and in that moment he says to them, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now remain in my love, which is such an incredibly difficult thing to do, if we're honest to allow ourselves to be defined by that. So 67 times combined in the Gospel of John and then in 1 John, meno, 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 which means stay, continue, remain in the love of God. Let this be the thing that defines you. I think John reminds them of it over and over and over again because we all need to be reminded of that. I was just talking to my nephew who's visiting from Switzerland, uh, and he told me, he said, I love the United States more than Switzerland. That's what he just told me. And I said, really? And uh, I think it might have been because of the donut holes. And (laughs) I I said, really? That that surprises me. And he said to me a very profound thing for him to say. He said, and I bet you like Switzerland more than than the United States because you don't live there. That's a really profound thing for a young man to say, isn't it? I said, get out of my mind, man. Come on. It's so easy for us to live with a grass is greener on the other side mentality, right? Whatever it happens to be. It's hard for you to find joy, peace, patience, you know, sustenance, nourishment spiritually in the place where you're at. Because there's the truth that wherever you go, there you are. It's hard in your place, in your time, to remain content, To believe you're loved. To allow the love of God to continue to transform you in your time and in your place. So John says, Menno, Menno, Menno. We sing songs like, you know, standing on the promises of God. It's a great old hymn. But do we actually do that? Are we actively remaining in that love? Are we standing... In that place, John reminds this Christian community. And it's weird because you'd think that some of these people who might have even known Jesus, or know John at least, who know Jesus, you'd think if anybody could do it, it would be them. John reminds this community, you have to continue to stay in that love. To believe that you have a loving Father. One who calls you a child, God. Mandy and I recently went to Durango, Colorado for a wedding. And when we went there, we flew into Denver. Durango is kind of in the middle of nowhere, and so there's not really a good place to go. But we have family in Denver, so we stayed with them one night and then drove the six hours down to Durango. And we didn't really look too much at our our phones as far as where we were going. It was the shortest route there, but it was through Small towns. I had no idea. Much of Colorado was the middle of nowhere, basically. And as we were driving on this trip, uh, Nora, our eight-month-old, and Carter, our four-year-old, were getting a little bit tired of being in the car after the two-hour mark. Mandy and I were also getting very hungry at that point, and when you get hungry, things get a little testy in the room. And uh, as we are making this drive, we are trying to get to a place that we can just get some lunch. And it made me appreciate fast food because whenever fast food's coming, there's often a sign that'll say, "You know, next exit, there's this." Um, and there was no freeways that we were on at all, and there was no fast food that you could see off in a distance because every fast food place, like you have a big sign and it's easy for you to see. And so there were several times after the two-hour mark where we were desperately looking for some food that we would see a cafe right as we were passing it. And we'd think, well, are we going to turn around or not? Well, the town that's next up is just a few miles up the road, so I guess we should just keep going. And that happened probably four or five times where the cafe was was suddenly going past us. And it was finally at about the three-hour, 30-minute mark, which was about the end of our patience. Uh, we found this place in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, Kind of hard for you to read a Thai food and burger place, <laughs> which it just sounds even more appetizing right now as I'm thinking about it. Uh, and I will I will say that I made a mistake. I, I should have ordered pad Thai with cheeseburger cut up into it, but um, it wasn't on the menu. But I think they would have done it for me. Um, a once in a lifetime opportunity to order a, a meal. I uh, like that. And the Thai food wasn't too bad, it actually was run, it's in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, run by a lady who was from Thailand in a small town, and she wanted to have the same small town experience, so she moved uh, to this area. So the food actually wasn't that bad, it was uh, exactly what we needed in that moment, and then got us back uh, on the road after stretching our legs for a little bit. And I think back to that story, and it's going to be one of those that I almost always remember when I eat Thai food. I'll remember at any time we get in a car, so we'll make sure we're going through some big towns so we actually can have places to stop. It's interesting that the things often in our lives, and I think this is true for all of our journeys, the things that are sometimes extraordinarily difficult for us, or the times that things get really hard, we can look back on those things in the rearview mirror with a lot of joy that we maybe wouldn't want to have gone through it again or experience it again, but we can, because of what happened, like you have the family vacations where everybody got sick and everybody was throwing up, and now you laugh about it. It was horrible. It was like a war zone in there when it was actually happening, but you can remember what it was like, or you went camping and it rained all weekend. And that's the thing that you look back on and and you remember, and it's almost like there's some joy that you can find in looking back at it. I think this is true of our lives spiritually, that there's going to be some hard times that we go through that are going to be difficult. But can we, in the midst of those times, find joy, peace, and love? If we would have found a jack-in-the-box, I would have no story about that trip to tell, right? It just would have been normal. No adventure at all. There you go. That's a good way to put it. And as we live and and, and breathe, as we live our lives, can we believe that God is calling us to find joy, that a loving Father is with us, even in times that we would maybe choose not to have those experiences. And I think this is important and necessary because there's going to be some times in your life when you experience things that you're not going to find very much joy or love in. I mean, if you have a, a loved one that goes through cancer and loses his or her life, there's not going to be a point where you look back and go, ha, you know, that was like the Thai food thing. There's going to be times when you really do, you, you question, and, and that's okay to have doubts, to bring your true heart before God, to ask those hard questions during those difficult seasons. But I think we need to find ways to practice and understand the love love and grace of God in the mundane, in the normal moments of our lives so that we will know how loving, gracious, and good our God is when those difficult, the really hard seasons come. John says to this struggling Christian community, remain in the love of God. Continue in the love of God. A minister named John Shore says this this way, if while wandering around the inside of an art museum I came across a door that's solidly locked shut, what do I do? Well, if I'm emotionally immature, I might wrestle with the door's handle or maybe fall to the floor and try to peer beneath it. I might throw a tantrum because I can't get into that locked room. I might squat beside the door, fold my arms, and determinedly try to imagine everything inside the room. These are the kinds of ways I might waste my time outside that door. But if I'm mature... I would simply assume that those in charge of the museum know what they're doing and for whatever reason don't want people going in that room. And that would be good enough for me. So I would turn away from the door, forget about the room, and go about into the museum where all that wonderful art was waiting to enlighten and inspire me. I think we can spend time in our lives for years banging on a locked door. And God's invited us to experience the rest of the museum. We can spend time just trying to get into this certain area. There's a a, a spiritual teacher named uh, Suzanne Stabile that says she'll often talk with people and and realize that they're trying to get affirmation from a source that's just not going to give them affirmation. It might be someone that's really close to them, like a parent or a boss, And no matter what this person does, they just never receive these words of affirmation from that person. And Suzanne Sabiel says, in that moment, she says, well, then why do you keep going there for it? If you're never going to receive affirmation from there, then why do you keep going? I think all of us can spend time banging on locked doors, When God invites us, when John invites us to walk in trust, to believe in the love of God. We can spend time at locked doors seeking affirmation from certain people that's never going to come. And it can affect our view of God. God is calling us to believe that you're loved the letter that John writes to this community. Scholars are in general agreement that this church is... uh, getting smaller. There's been some issues that have happened, and they're working through some of those things uh, together, and they're trying to sort out exactly what it means. And John doesn't do a whole lot. The scholars generally agree that there's Gnosticism that's going around, some different views about who Jesus is and exactly what that means. But John never really tells us exactly what's going on. And this, I believe, is as close as he gets to basically saying, okay, I'm not really going to get too deep into the issue. I'm not going to separate who's right and who's wrong. But what I want you to do instead is think now how you will move forward. And so he says to this group, as they have conflict and they have issues and they're wondering, you know, what's going to happen next, what's going on, John says to this group of people, instead of like boiling down, okay, he's right, she's wrong, this is how we're going to sort through this, he says, see how loved you are by God? Like the answer to this isn't, well, we're going to sort all this issue out and you need to start talking to that person again. Instead, the answer is, see how loved you are by God? That you, moving forward, there's been this issue, there's been this conflict, but see how loved you are? As you move forward through this issue, as you move past this, believe deeply in the love of God, the transformative love of God that will continue to change you. So he says over and over again, Menno, 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 remain, remain, continue in the love of God. And he's saying, this is hard. This is hard for you to believe at times. But if you do, it'll change your heart. And you don't know who else you could change. Norma Wolf, who was a a longtime member of our church who uh, died last year, someone that we miss, she uh, was somebody, if you were part of our church and didn't really know her very much, you might think, oh, she's just been at church forever and she's been involved in church forever, one of those people that's just been around but Norma actually had a very very difficult first marriage I was really hard and if you talked with her much she would have shared about it um, with you but it ended in, in a divorce and the church that she had grown up w- at as, as a child had taught her that if you were divorced you couldn't be part of church anymore that was just it that was the mark you couldn't participate anymore and that was very common teaching even not that long ago so she just said, "All right, since I've been divorced, I'm not going to participate." And so she wasn't a part of a church for about 20 years. And she showed up here on a Sunday, and she had a hard time getting in the door, she said, because it was just hard the weight of shame and guilt that was on her. And she said she spoke with the minister that day, and they set up a time to have lunch. And he told her, Norma, I'm so glad that you're here. And God's so glad that you're here. You are welcome with us. And I think it was hard for Norma even to believe. And it took her continuing to participate. Think about just what the act of attending a church service is. I think Fundamentally, even though we all come in here with doubts and questions, it's us saying that like, we need God. That we might have things that we're, we're all struggling with, we're all broken, but we believe that through our worship, through our time together, that we can in some way like interact with the creator of the universe. And then secondly, I think as we come around the gospel and as we recognize who we are in God's eyes, we recognize together that we're loved by God? you coming and participating in a church community is saying, no, even though I'm broken, and taking communion is basically saying every single week that you need to break the body of Jesus to receive this forgiveness? Even though we're broken, we're loved. That's what we say when we come together. I think Norma, who had been away from church for a long time, allowed... God to work on our heart I received an email uh, just a few weeks ago that said this hey Brian I attended your church a few times many years ago with my then husband and then alone after we broke up it was a very hard and emotional time for me and an older woman named Norma was really kind I, I recently found an encouraging note that she sent me and wanted to see if she was still there so I could pass a message on her. I know this is odd but I didn't have any other way to get a hold of her. It was probably six years ago so I'm hoping this finds her well still. So I wrote her back and said, you know, thank you so much for reaching out. It, It means a lot to me unfortunately. Norma died in this last year but I'm so thankful that You reached out and told me that. And she sent me this. I found a note she wrote me in the bottom of a box of things I hadn't looked at in a long time. And she was asking how I was and hoping I would give an update. She sat with me and held my hand when I was incredibly sad and alone. I've since moved back to Dodge City, Kansas to my family and church family and have remarried and have uh, one two-year-old boy and one boy due in August. I'm sad it's too late to tell her. I suppose she knows now. I thought of her over the years but didn't know how to reach out. She was an incredible blessing at an incredibly difficult time. I find it so beautiful that a woman who was away from church for 20 years because she was divorced and thought she wasn't welcome held the hand of someone who was going through a divorce, who felt incredibly sad and alone. John writes to this struggling Christian community, and he says, remain in the love of God. There are going to be times in your life that it's going to be hard for you to believe that it's true. There are going to be times, church community that's going to be difficult for us to define ourselves by that. But it's so beautiful that Norma got to hold the hand of this woman, bless her in an incredibly difficult season. Brene Brown says this this way, owning our story and loving ourselves through it is the bravest thing any of us can do. And I've asked Philip to begin to play Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing because I love the final verse of that song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, the God I love. This is why John writes over and over and over again Menno, 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 see how good the love of God is. See that we can be transformed. See what happens when we remain in God's love. You, even though you're struggling, you're wondering, you're barely holding on, church community, see as you think about that, you are a child of God. You are a son and daughter of God. Because in the kingdom of God, divorced people can hold hands with people who are going through a divorce. The things that sometimes we can define ourselves by the things that are deep below the surface, the things that we struggle to deal with at times, the bravest thing that we can do is to be honest with ourselves and believe that we're loved there. This is the story of the God. If you haven't been baptized and you would like to talk about committing your life to Jesus in that way, I'd love to talk with you about that. It's a way of saying yes to the love of God, to submitting yourself to that story. But for all of us, maybe to wander, that we're prone to leave the God that we love. And John invites us to remain, that we are sons and daughters of God. And we live in a kingdom where people who are away from church for 20 years can come back and be such a blessing to all of us and an especial blessing to someone who is in a crisis. May we recognize that the love of God defines us all. Let's pray together. God, may we recognize that it is truly your love that changes us. May we, even though we're tempted to think the grass is greener on the other side or to accept other promises and not live into your promise, may we remain and continue in the love that you give to us. God, your love is so good. And John writes, see, this is who you are. You are a child of God. May we believe that together and live into that reality. May we recognize the love that you have for all of us. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.